Well, let's take our Bibles to John chapter number 12 this morning. John chapter 12, and then also Galatians chapter 6. If you could turn to both of those places, we'll begin in John 12, and then flip over to Galatians 6 as part of our scripture reading today. I'll share a little more tonight during our outreach report about um, Brother Rader, Brother Mark and Sarah Rader's ministry in Peru. But let me just tell you that your missions dollars are working. For those of you that are giving, it is making a huge difference. Um, uh, two Sundays ago when I preached in their service, we had three or four hands raised for salvation during the, during the service. But that weekend, uh, through all of their soul winning efforts, and let me tell you, they go soul winning the right way. They spend a lot of time with each person they speak with and talk to, but their soul winning efforts all weekend long, they saw a total of 17 people come to trust Christ as their Savior between Saturday and Sunday. So, uh, But I'll go into details about some of those salvations and the way the Lord's working and moving there in Peru and doing great things. So I encourage you to be back tonight uh, for that, uh, but I uh, wanted to share that with you this morning. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 12, we'll begin in verse 23, and read down through verse number 28, and then afterwards we'll turn over to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 and read that verse aloud as well. We'll read the odd, or rather the even-numbered verses together, and I'll read the odd-numbered verses alone. The Bible says in verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servants be. If any man serve me... Him will my Father honor. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7. And let's read that together as well. Ready? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Our theme this year is on the screen there in front of you. What is our theme this year? Rooted in Christ. Well, we've covered one series of messages back in the beginning of the year. And we're going to begin the second series of messages on this theme and so the sub-series, or the series we're going to be looking at this morning, uh, beginning this morning, is Planting the Seeds, and the sermon this morning is entitled this, Planting the Right Seeds, Planting the Right Seeds. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us this morning as we continue down this journey of making sure that our hearts are established in the faith, that we are rooted and built up in you. Lord, that we would abound with thanksgiving and we would abound like a tree planted by the rivers of water. May we have Christians, Lord, who are solid and strong in their faith. Lord, not only to lead ourselves, but the generation and generations to come. 
Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts, help us to understand the sermon intellectually, and then, Lord, help us to leave with our hearts changed, to live out what we've heard. May we not just be hearers of the word, but may we be doers also. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Our theme verse this year, to go along with our theme, is Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Let me read it to you, if you would listen intently. It says, Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So, we've made it to the month of June. Isn't it hard to believe we're already to the month of June? Wow, it's going quick. To those of you that are school students or maybe college students, you think it took forever to get to June. Uh, uh, school's just about over or is over, and it, I didn't think that day was going to come. But uh, to those that are not maybe in school, you, you realize that the time just flies. We made it to June, and to date we've only covered one of the series of sermons that I have scheduled for this year in this concept of being rooted in Christ. Let me just say this, much of the rest of the year... The Sunday morning and Sunday evening sermons will focus on this topic of how we can, as Christians, be rooted in Christ. So let me sort of give you where, we, where we've been, where we're going to be for the next few weeks, and where we're going with this, uh, with this um, theme this year. So the first set of sermons we covered was preparing the soil, preparing the soil. You might remember the series out of Luke 8. We looked at the four different types of soil. You remember that? The path soil. We looked at the prickly soil, uh, the, uh, or rather the petrified soil, the prickly soil, the productive soil. We looked at the, the, the soil of the, of the heart. Remember we talked about how that the soil in that passage talked about the condition of our heart. And we spent a whole lot of time talking about that the seeds can be thrown in your heart all day, but if the soil of your heart isn't ready to receive the seed, then it just as much won't matter. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that series of sermons if you missed that, uh, so that you'll be ready for the series to come. These series and these thoughts do build on top of each other. We're going to begin uh, a set of series... Uh, a set of sermons right now under this idea of planting the seed. Excuse me just a minute here. Planting the seed. And so, um, uh, get that out of my way. That way I don't trip later. Alright? Planting the seed. And so, uh, that will be the next three, four, five Sundays. Uh, we'll be looking at that topic. And then after we finish the ser- sermons on planting the seed, we're going to move on and talk about protecting the sprout. Alright, you planted the seed and it's beginning to take root and grow. How do you make sure that that sprout that shoots out of the ground is, it develops into a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season as Psalm 1 states. Well, we're going to talk about how to protect the sprout and then once that sprout has developed into a full-blown tree, we'll talk about producing through the Spirit. Producing through the Spirit. And each of these are series of sermons that we'll look at, and then we'll finish by looking at persuading for the Savior. Persuading for the Savior, how to get other folks to follow along, and how to share your faith with other folks. So that will be pushing toward the end of the year, the end of the fall, beginning of winter, 
And so that's what we have in store. But today we begin talking about planting the seed, planting the seed. Now, let me just say this. You can take us back to our, our theme slide there or back to the next slide. Uh, let me just say this uh, uh, and to set up the sermon this morning. By, by the way, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 13 with me, if you will. We're going to read uh, a parable that Jesus gave in just a moment out of Matthew 13. Christian, each day... Some sort of seed is thrown into the soil of your heart. Truth be told, for most churchgoers, which would be everybody in the auditorium this morning, maybe some listening online, you have your own church, but enjoy tuning into ours. Uh, But for most churchgoers and many people, you allow a variety of seeds to be tossed into the soil of your heart, On a weekly basis. What do I mean by that? What are seeds? Now, this is fundamental to the series. So, please hear what I'm about to say. Everybody listening? Alright, don't don't sleep on me. Don't daydream. Alright? Seeds are mentalities or ideologies. Seeds are mentalities or ideologies. Now, you show up, uh, if you come on just Sunday mornings, you show up and you listen to a 30 to 50 minute sermon from this pulpit once a week. If you come three times a week, then you can multiply that, that time by, by either two or three, depending on how many times you come. So that means at the most, you're getting just under three hours of a sermon from this pulpit every week. Do you know that the world has you for the remaining 165 hours? And the world is preaching a different sermon than I preach. If you go to Sunday school, you can add another one. So, we're at 4 versus 164. If you're sleeping a chunk of that, maybe we're at 4 versus 120. But the commercials on TV, the shows on TV, the programs on the radio, the conversations you have at work, the advertisements on the billboards and the store windows, and the folks that you talked about. I had a long conversation with my missionary brother yesterday, and he was telling me about some app he used to have on his phone that would allow, uh, I think it was Quorum or something like that, where uh, you can just field questions of any sorts, religious or secular or whatever. And he said he got so wore down by the hatred toward Christians. You know, uh, so he, he deleted the account, deleted the app. But you know, the, the message out there is in direct contradiction to what the Bible says and teaches and what's preached here in pulpits like this around the country and globe. But we have this mixed bag, this mixed sack, this mixed handful of seeds of ideology that are thrown out into the soil of our heart every single week. And you know what we try to do oftentimes? Tell them I said, hey. You know what we try to do oftentimes is we try to reconcile opposite positions. How many of you here have ever heard of the uh, concept of theistic evolution? You know what theistic evolution is? It's trying to take the hand of evolution and the hand of God and getting them to hold hands. You know what that is? That's taking opposites and trying to reconcile them. And you say, oh, I would never believe in theistic evolution. Do you know that on some minor level, we face the temptation of taking secular worldly ideas and trying to get them to compromise with a biblical belief and we try to find some middle ground. You know what that breeds? 
Please don't miss this. What it breeds is lukewarm mediocrity in the heart of the Christian. You know why most Christians are not really devout and sincere about their faith? You know why they plateau and they don't grow? Because they're a mixture of the world sermon and the Bible sermon, and they've tried to bring the two together and get them to be one. Because Satan is mixing his ideologies, his seeds, into the bag of the Bible, and he's tossing that into the soil of your heart, and you will never produce for the Lord the way he ought the way you ought to, as long as you continue to give an ear to the world and the secular sermon. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Now, the application I'm going to make out of this passage is different than the interpretation. Before we read 24 down through verse 30, let me say that this is talking about those who will go to heaven and those who will go to hell. That's the That's the interpretation of the passage. I'm going to make a different application. Look at verse 24. Another parable put he, Jesus, forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So, are you picturing this? There was, a, there was a field of wheat planted, and while the farmers slept, some enemy came in and threw seeds of tares into the field, and the tares, or the weeds, and the wheat grew up together, and you could not tell the difference by appearance from the tares and the wheat. But it was clear that not everything there was wheat. So now what do you do? Look at verse 27. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then doth it tares? Hath it tares? He said, he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together unto the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, the, again, the, apple, or the interpretation of the passage here is that God intended for all men to be saved. Satan came along and, and, uh, and, and diluted or messed up the field of harvest, and so God will gather those who end up uh, not putting their faith and trust in Christ, and they'll end up going to hell, and those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus and His salvation will go to heaven. Let me make a different application here. You have had good seed of God's Word thrown into the soil of your heart. But Satan is also working hard, standing on the opposite end of the field, throwing his ideologies into the soil of your heart. And they both grow up together. And if we're not careful, the bad seed of sinful ideologies and secular thinking will choke out and harm the good seed of righteousness that God intends, that God intends for us. This morning, uh, while I could take time to focus on the dangers of the bad seed of Satan, I could take the time to do that. I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do this morning is focus on the seeds or godly mentalities that Christ has commanded His disciples to have planted into the soil 
of their hearts. So, you, you with me this morning? There's Satan's seeds of sinful and secular ideologies. There's the seeds of the Savior of sanctification and growth and holiness. And both are trying to be thrown into our heart. This morning, we're going to, instead of focusing on Satan and his bag of seeds, we're going to focus on the Savior and the seeds of righteousness that he wants thrown into our heart. Now, here's the proposition of the message this morning. I propose that if we plant the right seeds in our heart, then we can begin the process of having spiritual fruit that remains. So, here's the thought. There, are, there is the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering. You all know the song, right? How many of you, the song, helped you get them down in order? Are there a few of you in here? Okay, we'll sing it more and then you'll get them all down in order. Um, I'll tell you really quick something funny here. I was on a trip with my pastor as a teenager and he started going through the fruits of the Spirit and he got them out of order. But I knew the song and so I corrected him. And then he corrected me for correcting him. Um, and he said, if you really had the fruits of the Spirit, you wouldn't have corrected your pastor. So... And my face turned red and I put my head down and we were going on a trip. And I didn't say anything the rest of the trip. Um, Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I get all those right? I believe that's right. That's the fruit of the Spirit. But that's not the fruit of the saint. What is the fruit of the saint? The fruit of the saint is when we persuade other folks to put their faith and trust in Christ. And we bring forth the fruit of other souls being brought to Jesus. So if we plant the right seeds in the soil of our heart, again, that's the theme right now, that's the series right now, planting the right seed, and those seeds do their work and root themselves in the soil of our heart, then we will produce, the the Spirit will produce its fruit in our hearts, and we will produce fruit for the Savior. Now, how many of you here would love to gain patience that you right now don't have? How many of you right now would love to be able to love people who are just not very lovable? Some of you are like, Pastor, please preach on that because I need to love you. Amen? How many of you here would love to have joy when your heart is being ripped apart from problems and have a joy that's just real? Are you seeing the incentive of why maybe we ought to plant the right seeds in our heart? You know, the picture of peace is not a river that's tranquil and quiet. The picture of peace is when a storm is raging and you look up in this painting and you see this this storm and the clouds and the thunder, or you can't see the thunder, but you see the lightning and the river is rushing and there's a waterfall and there's a tree branch hanging over all that. And you have an eagle that's sitting in a nest with its wings covering those eaglets. That's peace. Hey, peace isn't the storm going away. Peace is finding respite beneath the Savior in the storm. Oftentimes, i got to tell you, that can be elusive and hard to find. You say, well, Pastor, how do I get that? It begins by putting the right seeds in your heart. So you can be rooted in Christ. So that the fruit of peace, that passes all understanding, begins to evidence itself in its life, in your life. How many of you here, uh, don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you here would think, Pastor, listen, I've been going to this church for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, 2 years, however long it is. And I know I'm supposed to share my faith. I mean, I, I, it's been shown to me in Scripture, and I know it. 
But, uh, but uh, yeah, that's hard. I don't know how to do that. It's scary. I know a lot of Christians feel that way. You know, if you put the right seeds in the soil of your heart, sharing your faith with others becomes natural. God leads you to a place where you can do that naturally. Is there a little bit of incentive to maybe get the right seed in the soil of our heart? Now, I'm going to begin the sermon this morning, and I'm going to finish it this evening. On the back of your bulletin, you will see a very extensive outline. All right? It's going to take us this morning and this evening to fill this out. I hope you come back tonight and we can finish the sermon. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to fill in the main points, and we'll come back this evening and we'll fill in the sub-points. We're going to look at four different seeds found in the Bible that God wants sown into the soil of our heart. So let's jump in this morning and let's talk about this topic of sowing the right seeds. All right, I'm going to try to do this in about 15 minutes. Let's jump in here. Number one, the seeds of the Scripture. The seeds of the Scripture. Now, John chapter 10 is where we'll be for most of the message. Uh, And so we're going to look at three types of seeds out of John 10. But I had to work this one in here because, one, it's in the Bible, and two, it's so vital that we get this one in. Turn over to Luke chapter 8. Hold your place in John 10. Turn over to Luke chapter 8. And look with me. uh, We'll we'll begin in verse 9 and read down to verse number 11. This is where we talked about the preparing the soil, preparing the soil of the heart. We spent a long time in Luke 8, and so we're not going to spend a long time here this morning. But I I do want to make one strong observation here. Look at verse 9. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now look at verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed, read the rest of the verse out loud with me here, is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. What is the seed? Speak to me now. It's the Word of God. Now, make no mistake about it. Luke 8 is not putting the focus on the seed. Luke 8 is putting the focus on the heart condition or the soil. But please understand that the seed is the Scriptures. The seed is the Scriptures. Now, the point Luke 8 makes is we can throw the Scripture, which is powerful, into your heart all day. But if the condition of your heart is not ready to receive it, then it doesn't matter. It's void. It's a waste of time. That's why you can come to church with the wrong heart attitude and come here with the preoccupations of this world in you or a bad spirit or a bad attitude and uh, the pastor can preach with spirit-filled power and he can sling the seed out. But if you come in here with the wrong heart attitude and wrong spirit, then that seed lands in your heart and it does nothing. Because your heart's not ready. And so you need to come to church and you need to approach your Bible reading and you need to approach that time in God's Word with a heart that's been prepared and softened and ready to receive the Word. Why? Because God's Word matters. Uh, I love the song the choir sings, God's Word changes lives. God's Word is precious. It's precious. Psalm 138, verse 2. That, By the way, that word precious means valuable and rare. Psalm 138, verse 2 says this, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Why? For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God's Word is precious. 
Let me say this as well. God's Word is powerful. It's powerful. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God, say, quote it with me if you know it, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's Word is powerful. I love Hebrews 4 because Hebrews 4 is all about the Christian finding rest. Finding rest in a weary world. And then it, it builds to the apex of verse 12 that says, God's Word is sharper than a sword that cuts away all of the things that hurt the peace in the heart of a Christian. Hurts the rest in the heart of the Christian. The cares and the worries and the pain and the hurt. What is the Word of God? It's precious. It's powerful. Let me say also that the Word of God is perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7, one of the Scripture songs we've been singing, says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. I heard a preacher put it this way one time. From the table of contents to the book of maps, it's perfect everywhere in between. Amen? There's nothing in the Bible that is wrong or inaccurate. Don't you think that if they found an inaccuracy in the Bible that was a hardcore inaccuracy, that was lock-tight, lock seal-proof, don't you think that would be published on the cover of Time magazine tomorrow? Don't you think they want to do everything they can to discredit this book? It's perfect. It's perfect. Really quickly here, if I were to take 29 of the most like-minded people in this room and, and meet with them after church and say, we're going to write a book on immigration reform, and I'm going to give each of you a different chapter to write on. Immigration reform in America, I'm going to give you a different chapter to write on, and, and I'm going to limit how much you can uh, you can communicate with each other. Some communication, but very little. And then when you're all done, we're going to take your work, and we're going to compile it into one book, and we're going to sell that book. How many of you here believe there would be some inaccuracy discrepancies, or contradictions within that book. I guarantee you there would be. 29 of the most like-minded people wouldn't be able to write a book that agreed with itself on that topic because it's such a complicated issue. But this book, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, is far more complex than immigration reform and has zero inaccuracies and is perfect in its philosophy and lines up with itself. Why? Because there was one author in heaven who wrote it, who gave it to us, and it is God's Word in a perfect form, and it is meant to completely and totally transform our lives. God's Word is perfect. God's Word uh, is, is profound. God's Word is profound. The rest of that verse says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. You take the most simple-minded person and you pour the Scripture all over them and you throw the seeds of Scripture in their heart and you go from a simple-minded person to a person who abounds in wisdom. Why is it important that we allow the seeds of Scripture to be sown into the soil of our heart? Because it is God's Word that radically transforms the heart of any person. Read God's Word. It will be a mental bath that will cleanse you. Study God's Word. It will challenge the most intellectual person. And it will teach you truth that will give you great freedom in Christ. Why? Because the Bible tells us in John, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Meditate on God's Word. You know what it means to meditate, right? Like a cow that 
regurgitates and chews on its cud six, seven times between the stomachs. Boy, yeah, you sit down in the morning and you read the Scriptures. Don't just blow through it. Pull out a card or a note app and write down what you got out of that. And then when you get a few minutes during the day, stop and pull out that card or pull out that note and meditate on that. Mentally chew on it. Call it back up. Mentally, excuse the crass term, but mentally regurgitate that truth and chew on it and chew on it and chew on it and say, God, I want something to stick in my heart that's going to change me and make me a better person. Read God's Word. Study God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Listen to God's Word. How do you do this? Do this through preaching got to attend church to do that. And through the preaching of its, or through the playing of its audio, through your electronic device, receive its truths orally and allow them to sink down deep into the soil of your heart. Read God's Word. Study God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Listen to God's Word. And the fifth finger we wrap around the Bible, memorize God's Word. It will fortify you during times of temptation. Remember, there is a battle of ideologies, Christian. Satan is seeking to toss the seeds of sinful ideas into your heart. Secular ideas in your heart. God's desire for the seeds of His ideas is the Scripture that ought to be tossed into the soil of our heart. Do it often. Do it regular. Do it with, uh, with earnest. Do it with great angst. Do it with great care. Keep thy heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Number one, the seeds of the Scripture. Go back with me to John chapter 12, I believe it is, and notice the seeds of self-abandonment. The seeds of self-abandonment. John chapter 12 and verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. There's a very dangerous, very sinful ideology that has grown into full harvest, into the hearts of many of you listening to my voice today. This is an ideology that has grown into full harvest into my heart more than once. And here it is. Second Opinions, chapter 4, verse 13. Ready? I can do all things through me, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through me, which strengtheneth me. I'm going to share with you this morning the greatest mistake I have made as a Christian. I believe it's a mistake many of you are making right now. The greatest mistake I have made as a Christian is trying to obey the Bible through my own willpower. The Bible says not to cuss, and I've got to work real hard not to cuss. The Bible says not to have pride, then I've got to work real hard to be humble. The Bible says that I've got to go to church and I've got to work real hard to be faithful to church. You say, well, pastor, isn't there any room for my own free will to exercise? I'm going to get to that in a minute. But the truth is, God does not want you to self-improve yourself. You know why? Because you're going to hit a point where you just can't make yourself any better. You just can't. The ceiling 
of good behavior is very limited because within me is a flesh that is going to hold me back. God does not want me to try to live the Christian life through the power of my flesh. I have got to figure out how to throw the seeds of self-abandonment into the soil of my heart. Let me give you some scripture that proves this. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Well, who renews my mind? I don't renew my mind. The Holy Spirit of God renews my mind. That's part of the reason why I was given the Holy Spirit upon salvation was so that if I would yield to Him, He could renew my mind. Jesus reminds us in John 12 that we can keep our lives and die alone or we can lose our lives for the sake of the gospel and then can produce much more. Now, I'm going to spend time this evening talking about what that production looks like and is, but let me just say this. You cannot produce for the Savior. You cannot produce for Christ if you're coming to the table trying to serve God through the power of your own flesh. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Boy, what a visual. We take the flesh and we nail it up to a cross Every day, and we say, I'm not going to try to live the Christian life through my flesh. I'm going to live the Christian life by Christ doing it through me. Romans 8.13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, Paul gave us these three words, I die daily. Does that mean that he was dying and resurrecting? No, that means he was taking the deeds of his flesh and he was crucifying them. The key to the Christian life is not uh, not self-improvement, rather it is self-abandonment. Let me say that again. The key to living a successful Christian life is not self-improvement, it's self-abandonment. Another way I could word it this is this. The key to the Christian life is not self-improvement, it's spirit improvement. So how do I get the Spirit to improve me? You know how? Not by trying my best to please God with the way I live, by figuring out how to yield myself and submit myself to the leadings of the Holy Spirit within me. Let me get real practical here. The Holy Spirit says to you, hey, you know, that wasn't the best word choice. How many know what I'm talking about right there? And you know what you do? You say, yes, sir, Lord. Yes, sir, Lord. Holy Spirit of God, the next time I'm in that spot, will you give me a better choice of words? You know what he does? Yeah, I'll take care of you. I'll take care. I'll secure or fortify you. You, uh, you have a close relationship with someone. You know, the people that we're closest to, they drive us the most crazy, don't they? Brother, sister, husband, wife, mom, dad, child. Just want to pick them up and strangle them sometimes. And you'll lose your cool. And the Holy Spirit says to you after you, you know, you've blown your top. He goes, you know, you really didn't handle that very well. You can bristle that and say, I'll handle it however I want. You know what that is? That's self-improvement. Or the lack thereof. Or you can say, you know, Lord, you're right. I didn't handle that right. The next time I get into a heated situation like that, will you please give me patience and long-suffering? 
the seeds of self-abandonment. I can't do it. I'm going to fail miserably every time. When, it, when the situation is dire enough, I'm going to fail. Holy Spirit, you're going to have to take the controls and do it for me. Jesus said that if you don't die, you can't produce much fruit. And He didn't mean your body died. He meant that you're going to have to die to yourself. The seeds of the Scripture, the seeds of self-abandonment. Number three, the seeds of servitude. I hasten. Look at John 12, verse 26. It says there, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servants be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, what an odd request. Seeds of servitude? Why is that an odd request? Because everything about this verse flies in the face of what society teaches us. Hey, to serve or to be served? That's really the question for the Christian. Am I going to serve others or am I going to work to be served? You know what corporate America teaches us? Climb the ladder so other people will follow you and do what they're told. Isn't it? The dream is to have the corner office. Why? So other people can run in and out of your office and serve you? So other people will take care of your requests? Now, there's leadership and you can be a servant leader. Amen? There's, there's a place to be a servant leader. By the way, husbands, fathers, God has called you not to be dictatorial and boss your wife around. He's commanded you to be a leader through being a servant to those that follow you. Does anybody here question who was in charge of the disciples when Jesus walked the earth? It was Jesus, wasn't it? But do you think Jesus was sitting on a throne getting a foot massage? Bossing people around? Is that how Jesus led folks? No, Philippians 2 tells us how Jesus led folks. It says, let this mind, let this ideology, let these seeds be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, speaking of Jesus, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. This is the God who created the universe becoming a servant amongst us. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, I love the fact that we have the story of Jesus written from four different perspectives. The book of Mark shares the perspective of Jesus as a servant. And even Jesus himself taught in Matthew 23, 11, that the greatest among you is to be the servant of all. Are you sowing the seeds? Are you allowing the seeds of servitude? To be sown into the soil of your heart. Let me give you one more seed type from John 12 here. This will be bullet point, main point number four. The seeds of suffering. The seeds of suffering. Now this is an odd one. Look at, back at John 12 verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. Now let me pause and ask this question. Why would have the soul of Jesus been troubled? What was coming down the pipeline for Jesus? The cross. Cross. Remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He sweat great drops of blood. Boy, what a lot of stress he was under. You know what? He, remember what he said? He said, Let this cup pass from me. Then he said, But not my will, thine be done. Seize the suffering. Look back at 27. Now is my soul troubled. He knew what was coming. 
And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. What was the purpose of Christmas? Purpose of what was the purpose of the nativity? Why did Jesus come? Did he come so that mankind could cry Hosanna in the streets and put branches down, palm branches down? Is that why he came? He came to die. He came to suffer. Now, I'm going to throw an odd um, proposition at you this morning. Is it possible that God, as He lays out the plan for your life, has included a long life's path for you? Is it possible He's included times of suffering? Now, why would God do that? I'm a, I'm a parent, I'm a dad, I sorely miss my children. The last thing I want is to watch my children suffer. Why would God include times of suffering for those He loves? Because through the suffering of Christ, I am set free. Did you ever stop to consider that maybe God wants you to suffer so that He can set someone else free through your suffering? Let that sink in for a minute. Anguish of soul, bitter tears that are wept. God has a plan for those. You say, well, outside of Jesus, is there another Bible example of that? There is. Philippians 1.14, uh, uh, Paul is writing from prison and he says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds or through my suffering, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Hey, other people are looking at me in prison for preaching the gospel, and through my imprisonment, they've garnered more boldness to stand up and share the truth of salvation with others. I find it fascinating that um, when we're going through a hard time, we want everyone to pray that God will take the hard time away. Can I uh, share something with you that some of you just aren't going to like? Sometimes some of you will send me a text or call me or catch me after church and you'll tell me about some pain in your life. And you'll say, Pastor, pray God takes it away. Can I tell you how I pray? I say, Lord, if it be your will, take this away from them. But if it isn't your will, help them to learn the fellowship of your suffering. Help them to know what you went through on some small scale a little bit better. Philippians 3.10, Paul said that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering. I knelt down here with a church member about a year ago, put my arm around him and I prayed, and we wept together. And here's what I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't see the suffering that this man's going through going away anytime soon. Would you teach him on a profound level what you went through for us? May he become even more grateful for what you went through for us on the cross because of the trial and hurt he's going through now. 
We can shake our fist at God and say, God, why are you allowing me to suffer? Or we can say, God, this is just one small amount of the suffering you went through for me. And thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for allowing me to experience a little bit of the suffering that you went through for me. And may my suffering help somebody else be set free. Jesus said in John John 12 that we need the seeds of suffering to be sown into the soil of our heart so that a harvest can be produced that will glorify the name of the Father. What seeds are being sown into the soil of your heart? Let's finish the message this morning by turning over to Psalm 1. We're going to read Psalm 1 together from beginning to end. And I want to remind you, Christian, what the end game is. The end game, Christian, is that we be what Psalm 1 describes. A tree planted by the river of water that brings forth much fruit. Not success as the world defines it, but successful in the sight of God and successful for an eternity. Look at Psalm 1. Let's read it together out loud. Ready? By the way, before we read... I want you to notice that the first couple of verses address what happens when the wrong kind of seeds are sown in the soil of our heart. And then the middle of the book, the middle of the chapter describes what happens when the right seeds are sown in the soil of our heart. Let's begin verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore shall the ungodly not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous." For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Beginning and the end of the chapter, deal with what happens when the wrong seeds are sown in the soil of your heart. The middle is what happens when you guard your heart. And the seeds that Christ has for us are sown there. How do you become a tree that flourishes? It begins by planting the right seeds in the soil of your heart. The seeds of the Scripture. The seeds of self-abandonment. The seeds of servitude. The seeds of suffering. The question to each of you this morning is this. Are you planting the right seeds in the soil of your heart? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here who's not yet received Christ as their Savior, that they would make that decision today before it's eternally too late. Salvation is a free gift that is only received through a heart of humility and faith. I think of the man who pounded his chest and looked at the floor and said, Be merciful to me, a sinner. The Bible says that that man went out that day forgiven. May we not have a Pharisee in the room who is somehow depending on their self-righteousness to get them to heaven. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that has not put their faith and trust in you, before they leave, and we get hold of me or one of the other folks here and allow us to share with them Christ. 
Then, Lord, for those that are saved, which I believe to be the large majority of folks here, would you help us to evaluate the mentalities and ideologies that are being thrown into our hearts? Lord, may we have the right seed planted in our heart. Somebody here needs to strengthen their Bible reading time, their meditation time, their study time, their memorization habits. Others here need to change their attitude about how they're becoming a better Christian. Others here need to commit to service, being a servant. And others here need to change their attitude towards suffering. But God, whichever it is that you're working in the hearts of your people, would you help decisions to be made that will please you? In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet with our